0: Hey, everyone, welcome to Big Blend Radio. So now if you are watching this on YouTube, you just got to see California. And um, this is from, it's actually the very first track from the new album, Nine Mile Station. And Nine Mile Station is the band name. And we're super excited to have Will Hawkins here with us. Uh, Will Hawkins recorded this with Fernando Perdomo. Uh, Fernando's been on our show before and he's done so many amazing collaborations. And um, whatever Fernando does is like golden, and Will, tell us how, welcome number one, but how did you connect with him? In California, right?
1: Yes, uh, Lisa, <laughs> thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, so I I had actually stopped writing and performing for a little bit. And I went to go see this documentary called Echo in the Canyon on a midnight mm-hmm. show. And I was kind of dabbling back, getting back into writing. Um, but in watching that show, it's just such a great celebration of amazing songs that we all know. And we grew up with, and then to see Jacob Dylan put this amazing band together to re-envision those songs and breathe some new life into them, you know, and, and bring them into a more contemporary kind of place was incredible. But then there was Fredo- uh, Fernando Perdomo, who was the lead guitarist for that band. And man, I couldn't take my eyes off him. And, you know, he's just such a powerful presence and his guitar playing is that the tone and the riffs are just so economical and memorable. I remember sitting in the movie theater, like just jaw dropped. And by the end of the movie, I was just like, man, if I'd only met someone like him 15 years ago, he, maybe he could have been the Mike Campbell to my Tom Petty. And, you know, I, I live my life with this belief that things in life that are meant for you will find you, you know? Mm -hmm. And at that point I felt that my music career was behind me. And I was driving home a little melancholy, frankly, you know, I was just like, "Ah, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy where I am, but only if something, you know, if I, only if I had met him before. Yeah. So a couple of weeks go by and a friend of mine posts something on Facebook and he's in the picture and he's tagged. And then I friend him and I send him this note saying how much I enjoyed watching him in the movie. And he soon got back to me and he had found some of my music online and. We kind of just had this mutual admiration society kind of meeting for a bit. And he's like, I've got ai live in Los Angeles and he's in the Valley. And he goes, well, I have my own studio up in the Valley. So come up and check it out sometime. And, you know, maybe we can, yeah, maybe we can find some time to play together. And I had, I had been doing some playing with, with some young guys and I don't know, maybe a month or two later. One of them, the guitarist canceled on me like a day and a half before the show, like a Wednesday night. Ah oh, did <laughs> He cancels on me on a Friday He's like, yeah man I got I got a gig that's three nights and it's paying more and I was super frustrated, but I was I was trying this new discipline of not expressing my anger. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How
1: does that work? It's <laughs> fucking awesome, you know. I realized that whenever I expressed my anger, like the only thing that I, it may have made me feel better in the moment, but it didn't make any situation better mm-hmm. at all. So I was doing some, I was doing some work on <laughs> myself, Thank and you. so the kid was just like, "I can give you some names." I'm like, "Dude, go do your show. Yes. Go, you know, I'll figure it out." But it's all good. No harm done. Go do your thing. And in my head, I was like, "I'm never gonna play with him again." You know, but there's no reason for me to start you know anything now big deal so i'm sitting on the end of my bed it's a wednesday night eleven thirty, and i'm like oh fucking hey fernando so i text yeah. him are you available on friday it's 36 hours from now and do you think you can come sit in with us and he's like yeah i'm free tell me where Dude. and when send me some song files and without a rehearsal he shows up to the cinema bar in culver city And we blew the doors off the place. And not only did he and I have a lot of chemistry, he's got like this sixth sense. He Mm. learned my music and knew all the riffs and knew the backing vocals. That's wild. And it was like the first time in many, many years where I felt that as the lead singer, I could do my job. Like I could Mm. really do my job. And in the past, I always had hired guns that would come to rehearsal and play what they were supposed to play. And then during the show, play what they wanted to play. And as the lead singer, I'm waiting for cues. I'm waiting for riffs. Mm-hmm. And and when I hear what I hear on what we recorded, it, it builds my confidence and it makes me excited. And so when I hear that that riff drop before the pre-course, like my chest is full. So when he started yeah. doing that, I I let go because I had trust that he was going to do his job. And he did that tenfold. And we were playing to a half-empty room. And then by the time we got to the third or fourth song, you could feel the energy change and the people who were outside smoking came in and the people who were, by the time we got to our last song, which was caught in the rain, which is on this album. Um, we had the people from the back garden. It was shoulder to shoulder. You could feel the floor move. And it was awesome. one of the most powerful live experiences that I was personally involved in in my life. And Fern and I are like, our, we're checking each other our eye contact and we're leaning a shoulder to shoulder in on the, on the solos. And it was like, no, we had been playing together for years.
0: That's awesome. So,
1: and everyone in the band <laughs> is just like, up until that point, we were like, a we were a garage band, you know, just, I was doing something in order to kind of express myself. Right. I yeah. was coming out of, um, my mom had passed away and I was doing music again to try to find some light. And I was, you know, stumbling through it. And then all of a sudden this gelled and everyone in the room knew it. Everyone on the stage knew it and after the show fern and his girlfriend and i were sitting at the bar he's like so um am i in the band <laughs> and i like, dude uh fu- yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yes Let's yes do it do it yes
1: so it. that was november 1st 2019 um we did our next show together as a band with a violinist on january 29th 2020 um, that week, we also went in the studio to start recording songs that would become this album. And we gelled even more in there once we got in the studio. And like California was one of the first tracks that mm. we recorded. And Fern turns to me and goes, this is a stadium sh- show kind of song. And, it, that it set, is. and that set the tone for everything. We really didn't have an idea of what it was going to sound like when we got there. But with California, with those drums at the beginning... And just this soaring, like optimistic kind of driving, like I'm in a car going on an adventure. I'm on a journey. I told
0: you that's the first thing. I was like, oh, I need to road trip with this. Yeah, which I mean, we're on a permanent road trip, but this is going to get played a lot.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. And that was so with that first song that became that set that set the destination on Mm -hmm. our map to where we were going and what we were going to sound like. Mm. And then a month and a half later. COVID hits sure. and we had all these shows lined up and we were all just like excited to like really gel as a as a live band because even the the live performances were so powerful. And I'm a I'm a big fan. I grew up with going to shows with a Bob Seeger and Springsteen and Nick. Yeah, K- yeah. Where, where like they transport you to another place and we, you know, that's what we want to do. So now all of a sudden we're all locked down. So we spend that quiet time in the studio. Mm. And for the first time in my life, I'm able to concentrate on being an artist. Like I'm I'm an event producer and a marketer by trade. Mm -hmm. And that's been my, my day job for a while. And there's always meetings or proposals or business trips that are. So as much as I believed I was an artist and I was a writer, it was always just the bandwidth only allowed a certain percentage of that. And with the lockdown, all of a sudden I, I had all day. And over time, what happened was like, I, I had some people I was contracted with and we'd have our phone calls, but after a while that just drifted off and we weren't doing anything. There were no events or trade shows during COVID. And I think the first couple of months we pretended that it was just going to be a couple months and we'd be back at work. So we all kind of did the job, but then after three months, we're like, uh, we're, we're locking in for a while. Yeah. And what that allowed me to do was I woke up and I wrote songs. And if I came up with an idea that I was excited about, I would text Fernando and I'd be like, what are you doing today? I got this idea. And then he's like, come on up. And then he and I would go up and we'd flesh out the song and we'd start doing the parts. And then we, we were very cautious of our health and everyone's safety. So sure. we'd, bring, we'd bring our members in one at a time and we'd draw, do the drums. And then later that afternoon, the bassist would come in and we'd mm. all be six feet apart and wearing our bandanas and our masks. And, um, and that went on for another year. And, Mm. um, and as we were starting to record, like we really felt, we felt that it was gelling. We felt the chemistry Mm. and, and I worked as a recording engineer when I was younger and I had been in the studio with some real heavy hitters and, and you feel that magic in the room sometimes like something, just a song comes on and everyone Mm -hmm. in the room just knows. And we had a couple moments like that. And then. We mixed the songs. And again, we're in lockdown. We don't know what we're going to do with the music, but we're going through the process as if we would release it when we were ready. So we had a, we had some, we had two different people mix the songs and neither of them really did. They, the songs didn't, they didn't, they weren't energetic enough. They weren't jumping out of the speakers the way mm-hmm. they really needed to. So when I was younger, I worked with a guy named Al Schmidt, who was mm-hmm. a legend, right. a legendary mixer Cute. and engineer. Who worked with everyone? His first job ever was recording Mercer and Duke Ellington when he was nineteen. Amazing, amazing, worked, amazing. Worked with Frank Sinatra, Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, Dude. Elvis Costello, Barbara Streisand. You name it. He was with Sam cook the day he died. He was with him that afternoon. No
0: kidding. Yes,
1: and Dude. he was. He was supposed to go meet Sam for drinks that night, and Sam's like, "I'll give you a call and let you know where I'm going to meet you." And and Al didn't hear from him, so he went to bed only to be woken up at three in the morning to be told what had happened. So Dude, Al, that
0: was crazy.
1: Al was part of history, part of music history. And I was one of his assistants when I was 22 years old. And oh. I worked on a bunch of records, George Benson, Dr. Uh, Dr. John, Dana. Oh,
0: sweet. Yeah. So
1: over the years he and Tommy LaPuma, another great producer, that's who I was working directly for. And Tommy and Al were like brothers. So Tommy became like a father figure to me and just was a mentor and through Tommy Al was like Uncle Al where I always looked up to Tommy like he was like the the gentle father figure that I never had and then there was cantankerous Al funny Al who was like Uncle Al so Tommy died in 2017 and Al and I were at the uh, at the funeral and the service and we had stayed in touch but we really reconnected then and um we stayed in. We stayed in touch because now I live in Los Angeles. Mm. So when we got to the point where we weren't really happy with the with the mixes, I, I was I was really I was being really hard on myself because I'm like I know how to do this,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: how I, I'm clearly not articulating what I need to hear to the engineer because we're not getting it. So I had to, yeah. I felt like I had to take some responsibility for not being able to deliver the message in a way. That could help us get to where we need to go. So I called Al. I was like, look, man, here's what we're going, here's what's going on. Um, here's who I'm working with. We're really excited about it. the music's really good. Do you think you could take a listen to a couple songs? Just give me some notes, you know, can you help me articulate what I need to tell the engineer that to get what we're not getting. Mm. And he's like, you know, and we're on the phone and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm in the studio with Neil Young for the next two weeks. We're working on a box set with him.
0: Jesus. <laughs> um
1: and I'm working with Nico Bolas and I loved Nico. Nico mm. worked on the, the first three Melissa Etheridge albums. Um, he's worked on with Neil Young. Um, this notes for you. He produced, he produced Shelby Lynn's Grammy winning record. So wow. the two of them were working on the Neil Young camp, uh, project. So he's like, I'm with Nico and, uh, you know, send me the songs, you know, and I'll take a listen, but give me a couple weeks. weeks. I'm like, yeah, man, take your time. So I hang up the phone, call Fernando. Like, dude, Al Schmidt's gonna listen to the songs, he's gonna help us. And at this point, he Fern and I barely knew each other. And there was some friction between us because he didn't hear what I heard and I couldn't tell him like what we needed to change. Oh, yeah. So we were at a, at one of those points early on in any relationship where we're trying to trust each other, right? We're trying mm. to find ways to communicate to each other, and I'm not doing it very well, so I don't think that he trusted what i heard because i couldn't Mm -hmm. i couldn't use language my language to explain it yeah so i said look i i used to work with al schmidt i I just sent him the songs and he's going to come back to us with some notes and fern knows who he is so he's just like how the hell do you know that and we went through the whole i worked with him and all that as i'm talking to fern the phone is ringing on the other line and it's al again maybe 20 minutes later and he goes look um My wife and I are driving in the car. I'm listening to the songs that you sent me and they're great. He says, they're great songs. He's just like, send me, send me the song files tomorrow. And I'm like, and what? He says, I'm going to mix them. I'm mixing them. Cool. And I was, and dream come true. I mean, being 22 years old and, and being in the hit factory and being in the power station and watching them do what they do and thinking, man, one day I would love to be able to be on the other side of the glass. And now all of a sudden it's kind of how he goes, me and Nico are going to work on it together because we're together Sweet. working on Neil. So we're going to work on this together. So we started off with California. And I don't know, maybe a week later, I was sitting on the same place on the couch where a week before I was just so bothered by the situation. And now I'm hopeful. And he sends me a text, check your email. I go in and there's the song file. I put it in. And from the first 10 seconds, <laughs> it's doing everything it's supposed to do it's soaring and it's clear and you hear the dynamics of all the instruments across mm-hmm. the room in front of you and they're not muffled they're they're right where they're supposed yeah, to
0: yeah but it is perfect because the bass in there the bass and the drums just is like this glue where it's not like high on treble it's not it it just everything locks in really well i think it's really interesting about your you're talking about the communication part as a songwriter i always battle trying to because i had all this stuff in my head and like there's bells and there's all kinds of weird stuff happening and you know how how do you tell especially the band that i was with which i had to leave um <laughs> everybody broke up on stage with a big fight it was great <laughs>
1: that's so it was classic that's great. no
0: it was so classic drummer wanting to put drumsticks up certain things and places to the other person and it was classic but to communicate um I don't know if even if it was being a, a female versus all men and trying to go no this is it no you can't do this I'm like bullshit I can I can do this. This is my song. So I had to move on. And I did move on. And I worked with people from Candide and Moby Grape and all, all of that stuff. So I learned but that communication part is so it's so difficult. Because how do you how do you tell somebody what you're hearing in here? And what's in your You know what I mean? It's, that's hard. So how it's, did he know? How did he know? Do you know you from before that? He, you, that uh, Al know? How did he know? Um, well, Al taught me how to mix,
1: you know, okay. Alan, Tommy taught me how to mix and like what it's supposed to sound like. So when I think of like, where my, like where my zero is or where my, mm. like where it, things are supposed to be, it came. So I just went to the source. I went to the source of who taught me like in the first place. So, and the other thing that someone like Al Schmidt has that the average person doesn't is a $50,000 preamp that someone gave him, you know, and the gear that mm. he has in his studio like beyond the ears and also working on five hundred hit songs a thousand hit songs yeah, yeah knowing what radio is going to play, knowing like where the mm. bandwidth of all this stuff where it all needs to fall he he created it like mm. he set the standard he built the standard yeah so part of me was like this the short period of time in in context of that, I got to work with him when I was in my twenties, you know, he went on another 25 years after that, getting better at his craft.
0: Mm. He was
1: already amazing then. And then in the 20 years that we, that we parted, he continued to do great records and continued to look, to use new types of technology to Mm. enhance what he was doing. So I trusted him just knowing that he knew what the standard was supposed to be, Mm. right? And I have I have when it whether it's making music or in creating um, even events or writing i I have this kind of sixth sense of seeing something that isn't there mm-hmm. right? And there's this silhouette in my head that I always try to find reality to match up with and if it's just a little bit off, I see the corners and it can be a real pain in the ass to work with me at times. Are you a Virgo? I am a Virgo. <laughs> Yes, I am.
0: X one and no
1: one. <laughs> yes. And we're we pains. Are a pain in, in the ass. We're a pain <laughs> in the ass. But there are certain yep. I I feel I feel grateful that I have found ways to make a living exploiting or enhancing <laughs> these traits of mine that mm-hmm. make my partners and my friends crazy. But when it comes to being detail oriented and making sure things are what they're supposed to be, mm. I have this ability to see things that no one else sees or hear things Mm. that no one else hears. And there's been times where we're, we're doing a mix and I hear this little, like maybe a a stick on the side of the drums or a miss hit Mm -hmm. on a piano. And I'm like zero in on that. Let's get rid of that. And they're like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't hear it. I'm like, well, for the rest of my life, I'm going to hear it. I was like, so for my, for my mental health, for every time I hear this, I said, but Someone else is going to hear that too. So if we have the ability to to fix this, then let's fix it. You mm-hmm. know. And I think the way that Fernando and I work, we're very different types of people. And as far as we we mm-hmm. Fern works really fast, and I'm like, well, let's go back and make sure that uh, let's let's isolate. But this, this
0: is contract. the beauty. This is the beauty of a relationship. Yeah. Like like I'm virgo, annoying Nancy. Uh, my mom and partner is she's a Taurus, so she's a bull. So we're both. (laughs) So there's that. There's that. But it. But it is that. It's like just get it done. Don't wait. I'm like, no, we have to wait for this to be perfect to do that. No, get on with it. So that's um, really good creative balance when you have those kinds of relationships.
1: And Fern hears and sees things that I can never see because Mm -hmm. of his his musical talent.
0: He's amazing.
1: And he's on another planet. So Mm -hmm. so one of the things that. I wouldn't necessarily call it a rule, but one of the things we try to do is like when I come bring a song in, we have that conversation where I'm like, let me get what I hear in my head out first. Mm -hmm. Let, let me, let me do that. Let's both listen to what is in my head and then let's, let's collaborate from there. And if, and if something is there, that's worth keeping great. Let's build on that. But if something comes out and it's, you know, it's all over the place or it's not cohesive. Okay, cool. Then, then our collaboration starts there on where do we take it from mm-hmm. here? But I was like, please just let me work to get what's here out in the world. It's so, so hard. So I can at least feel that I've left it all out there and mm-hmm. that what my imagination and a lot of times what I hear is is what ends up on the record. And then there's mm-hmm. songs like Fall into the Sea where- I like that there's and fern's prog rock background marries into americana so well on a track like that because there's so many layers to that and it's supposed to that song is about a dream it's about a dream um i had i'd been engaged with someone we had some problems we broke up um for a long time i blamed her for those issues for straying and then after a while i had to realize that I had to take some accountability for myself for not giving her for what she needed in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And she felt she had to go get it somewhere else. I'm
0: not Mm -hmm. saying
1: that I'm justifying going to cheat or not, but given her personality at that time in her life, she needed something very specific from her partner. And I wasn't giving it to her Mm -hmm. and I wasn't listening. So there came a moment where I had a dream where I saw her in my dream and we had a conversation in that dream. And when I woke up that morning, I forgave her. And I looked at myself differently. And this song came out and mm. this song is about not just taking accountability, but also like with like a, a wink, like not taking yourself too seriously, but also taking accountability at the same time. And yeah. there's a line that, you know, sometimes what I love is like fast food. It always looks so much better than it tastes. You know, it's like, we, we all think (laughs) that what we have is, you know, it's like, you're, you're getting this sumptuous steak. It's like, nah, it's fucking Wendy's burger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, so that song is really about going from one chapter to another, taking accountability and learning about myself and taking a piss out of myself too, Mm you know? But the choruses and and the Santa they say things will come in threes, and here's the Santa Monica Pier, it falls into the sea. And Mm. I was living in Santa Monica, and where she and I were living, we could see the Santa Monica Pier from our window. And for me as a New Yorker, it 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 represented so much to me of being in California. So that representation of this marriage that didn't happen and my life in California just tumbling into the sea to me was very poetic. Mm. And you know, and a lot of a lot of these songs on this album like represent renewal um they represent uh self-realization and hope and optimism and perfect
0: timing for now too yeah i mean i think everybody's going through that right now in different ways after the pandemic and there's so much change going on in the world across the country i mean lots of stuff we don't even kaka stuff is happening so you know so that rebirth and renewal is always something that we tend to forget as individuals to that it's okay like when you're saying you oh you can have an aha moment about yourself or hey i didn't do this or i should have done could have should have would have fine learn from it but don't sit and dwell and don't dwell in it for 10 years and and kill yourself over it you know what i mean move forward so that's cool
1: and I'm a, a student of stoicism and sto, stoicism mm-hmm. is about responding to things that things you can't control where the, where mm-hmm. the control comes in life is the way that you respond to the things that yeah. happen. And, um, and keeping that, that emotional and physical balance where mm-hmm. you don't make things worse and living in the present and not letting mm-hmm. the past get in the way of your future, those things. And as I've gotten older, I I've, I've tried to, live in the present more and just follow the open doors so to speak right yeah. um and so i i had stopped playing for eight nine years and i had, had two solo records in the nine not in the 90s the 2000s 2003 and 2007 it doesn't
0: feel that does feel like the 90s
1: though yeah. it <laughs> um and i and it opened up a lot of doors for me and it got some radio but you know it, it wasn't as life-changing as i thought it was going to be mm-hmm. and some other opportunities came around in my marketing career. So um, I kind of left the music behind and it was kind of like an ex-wife to me where I was just like, I had taken so much of myself to put into it and just felt exhausted by it. So Mm. having something creative like um, event production still made it feel like we were, uh, like I was being creative, but I was getting paid pretty well for it. So um, my mom had a stroke in 2017 <clears throat> and I went back to New York to take care of her until she passed away uh, eight months later. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: while I was while I was doing that, she, she was in the hospital bed and she was recovering. She was paralyzed for a while on her left side. And oh. I would just sit in the in the room with her quiet. And I I stayed off my phone and I didn't we didn't have the TV on. I just let her have that peaceful moment. And so I would just close my eyes and I would have these movies running in my head my, you know, in my imagination, I would think about a band that I was on tour with, you know, I was just mm. trying to find things to think about that were hopeful and optimist. Cause there was so much sadness in the mm-hmm. room. And I was, you know, I knew yeah. I was going to lose. I knew my mom wasn't going to recover from this. Mm. I knew like, and even if she was able to live after this, it wasn't, she was no longer the same woman that yeah. we knew after the, stroke. the quality of life. Yeah. So, and I was as her caregiver and all that, it, it was overwhelming every day. Mm. So when I had those quiet moments, I try to think of things that made me happy. And I remember being on the road and like playing festivals and not knowing what the next town's going to bring and how much excitement that was. So I would just close my eyes and I would just think about these people I didn't know yet going to towns I may never have been to and thought about being on. And it just made me smile and it it gave me something hopeful to think about. And I knew I needed that band to have a name. And one of my favorite bands at the time and some friends of mine were in a band called Escondido. And mm. they, they're they from Nashville, but Escondido is in Southern California and they would wear these like mm-hmm. Graham Parsons kind of one, like, mm-hmm. s- and I just loved- I used to what... live
0: outside of Escondido. <laughs>
1: they, <laughs> so <Vista>. mm-hmm. <clears throat> I loved this this universe that they created, not just with their music, but with the way they looked and mm. picking a destination for the name of the band, I just, at that time, that was what I was thinking about. So I started looking on my phone at other towns and names in California, and I couldn't find anything. And then this went on for weeks. And one day I was on a website that listed ghost towns in California by county. So I wanted it to be a certain part of California. I wanted it to be in the desert. So like, I, I just kept looking and one day I saw nine mile station And it was the number nine mile station. And I was like, man, it doesn't look quite right. And at one point I was playing around on Illustrator and I created that and I changed the nine to to the letters Mm -hmm. against backdrops, started playing with the fonts. And I'm like, that's the name of the band. And so moving forward, my imagination, I was in a band called Nine Mile Station
0: crazy because you know like that's like a whole bob marley thing too right and oh it's like i didn't a whole know jamaica that. yeah no. and i i just interviewed a restaurant in asheville north carolina called not My mile <laughs> like,
1: i had no idea no yeah I'll no it's a that.
0: whole it's a whole um well everybody's happy let's just put it that way it's it's, wow, a, it's a state of happiness come on Seriously. really i yeah. had no
1: idea that's incredible
0: and it's all jamaican caribbean food and stuff yeah wow i'll say it, he's, he's out in the montford historic district of Asheville, near billy that's incredible <laughs> i
1: i had no idea yeah. that that so that's even more about it because then yeah because the, the desert
0: is well the desert right and we used to live out in 29 palms outside joshua tree yeah and the desert is like wonder valley and if you go into all those little tiny ghost towns like you're talking about nipton yeah and all of that stuff there's a trippiness to it man it I, is, i'm a
1: huge fan there's and...
0: a um yeah, I mean, there's something about the desert where it's like when you when we lived up in the mountains. I mean, we're all very happy.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> I I was at the time I was one of the stage managers at the Joshua Tree Music Festival, so I was spending oh, a, lot yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I I a lot of time
0: out of the RV park.
1: Yeah, so I do a lot of that too. So all of that was just like part of the part of the inspiration of it. So then once I started, once Mom passed, I wrote a lot of these songs, and there was so, I was dealing with so much sadness and loneliness mm. that I. I didn't want songs that were sad and lonely. though. I, I I had buckets full of sadness and loneliness. So, mm. the songs that came out of that were about, like I said, hope and reinvention, and optimism. And whenever I played, my mom was in the room with me, and that's what I needed. And mm. she was a big fan of me performing and me being a musician. Where my father was a policeman, he was more pragmatic, and he wanted me to have the job with the four hundred one k. But my mom was always just love when you do that, you know. Aww. And so he passed in 2005. So I found myself almost like an orphan and I pulled my guitar out from out of the closet. And I, I was just doing that to make me feel not better. And then Nick, our drummer, he and I met through some friends and he was the first person to come in and play with me. And we were doing some shows. I was like, look, I don't want this to be a solo project. I want to be in a band. I want, I want, I want to be in a group of people. We're all, I want to go someplace with some people. I don't want to do this alone. And he was like one of these guys who got paid for every show and he was playing with 10 different bands and he wasn't one to do things for free. And he bought into it. He was the first person to buy into the idea. And I sold it to him. I was like, we're going to play festivals. I'm like, I have a background in music. I was an artist manager. I know radio. I was just like, I'm not just your typical songwriter. I know this business. Come with me.
0: Come with me on this
1: journey. And we had this other bassist and she was great, but she was also playing with Hamish Anderson, um, Lauren Stockner, and she went on the road with with Hamish at the time. So we brought in Brendan to to play while she was out of town. And the three of us hit it off, you know, and we played with a couple different violinists until we had some that sat that ended up being more regular. And then w- then when Fernando came in, like I said, it was just like it went from Magic. Hey, let's- Let's do some shows. Let's see what happens. So then Fernando came in and became that glue and that engine. Like I may have been like, we all play different parts. Like I may have had my hands on the steering wheel and Nick might've been holding the map and Brendan was in the back doing maintenance. But then our car finally had a fucking engine that could get us up the hill. Mm -hmm. That engine was Fernando Perdomo. And once we put that fucking turbocharger. Boom. That's awesome. But that's the
0: magic. And having the right people, because a band is like a marriage. I mean, going back to all of that, it is. And it's like the communication a lot of times is not even spoken. It's it's, it's hard. It's its its own sign language, you know?
1: Having a relationship with one person is hard. We come from different backgrounds. We have different Mm -hmm. expectations. It takes time for us to be able to get on the same path when it comes to how do we communicate, right? And even if you have that instant connection, that only lasts for so long. And Mm -hmm. now the deeper you get in with someone the more intricate and nuanced those issues that come up between you are. Right. And the more seasoned or the more like being able to navigate through those things, the more you have to put time into it. But Mm -hmm. then you add four more people into that. And you're all trying to stay on this journey with this band, making something very specific when everyone has their different ideas of what this is going to be. And through negotiation and time, you slowly hone that, that message and that sound, so everybody is on the same road together. And even every once in a while, there's someone in the band that you know takes an exit off that highway, and yep. I got to be like, "Oh man, Dude. you got to get back. You know, we got four more exits to go." Yeah, let's. You know, it's and but when you're doing the same songs and you and you you want your listeners to hear the riffs. You want your listeners
0: mm-hmm.
1: to to know it's second nature. So when they hear it live they have that religious experience they have when they're listening to it at home and they're like, it's a familiarity. Yeah. yeah. And they're way. And right before the pre-chorus, there's a little riff. And when they do it live, you're like, fuck.
0: Yeah. I love that riff. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, that's the thing when cover bands go out and do stuff and don't put the riff in people it, get pissed. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. Like, or dude, where's that part? You didn't play the part. You know, That's and I was it. saying this to mm, a yeah.
1: friend this morning before I talked to you, and we were talking about this. I'm like, if you went to go see Tom Petty and they were playing breakdown, and instead of it going dan, you'd be
0: like, That's not the song. That's not it.
1: And so where would
0: cocaine be without the whole beginning? Like, right what would that and would it, not be it.
1: And what ends up happening, and I say this when we play live. The thing that makes singing in choirs and singing along together in churches that is so powerful is this mm-hmm. is this shared experience of a hundred people in a room carrying each other th- with these hymns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Live music is no different. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll is are the hymns for us.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the point of we're all singing those songs together the the way we mm-hmm. know them to be creates that community and that that excitement between us. And we as the pastors on stage it's our job to make sure that they're there with us exactly and it's with this band it's been one of the best experiences to be on stage and for us to have those moments where we have the room with us and i make a, a every show we end with caught in the rain and i break it down and i and i have everyone join in you know, oh. and there are and it's a trust fall because, like, I've been to shows where they're like, okay, we're going to have you sing along with us. I'm like, fuck you. I ain't going to sing this song with you, but you got it. You, they have to be with you, you the it. whole time, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just in that moment. You got to carry them with you from mm-hmm. the first note to then so they believe it. Mm-hmm. So when we get to that, caught in the rain, I usually like half the room will get it. And then I'll come down off the stage and I'll leave the microphone on the stage and I'll sing a cappella, No matter how big the room is, I'll stand in the middle of the room. Come on, mm-hmm. I'm with you. And I'll grab someone, put my arm around them. And there is yet to be a time in three years where we do that song. where we do not have the whole room singing with us mm-hmm. by the time we're done. And everyone, awesome. there's not a single person who seems jaded. Everyone is, and it's a simple enough course. I got caught in the rain and I can't get home, you know, it's just like, and it's this call and response and it's church you know? Mm-hmm. it's just like, and it's a church with a God that only wants you to have fun, you know? It's a rock That's and roll
0: it. church. That's it.
1: Right. It's
0: the party. It's the musical yeah. party and people need it. I mean, everybody's yeah. get, I mean, it's like, I'm like, stop listening to the news and listening to the same headlines 10 times. Just go and listen to music. I mean, when, when you get pissy or upset about anything, you need music. and it, yeah. And I always remember that. Or if I'm like, creatively <clears throat> in one of those weird zones of like, because my brain does 10 things at once. And that means nothing really <laughs> good is happening. Then I need to like zone. So I go into the music or into nature, one of the two or both. And then everything comes back to normal. And so yeah. it's a net music is part of our spiritual being. It's part of our makeup as humans. It's our animalistic side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it it's our it's our life buoy at times too. And as I've gotten older, I've changed the way I write my lyrics because I, I want them to be personal. I want something there mm-hmm. for the listener to have, but I also want something for them to have for themselves mm-hmm. too. And if you can write it in abstract enough way where they can fill in the gaps with their own experience,
0: yeah, then exactly. it becomes
1: theirs. And when <laughs> I, what it means to me doesn't matter anymore. And I right. can tell you that when I perform the way I perform, I live every lyric. I'm, when I'm done with mm-hmm. the show, I need 15, 20 minutes because I just went through 45 minutes of my diary and every right. experience that I had. But I I want the listener to be able to fill in and create their own movie of their life with this being a soundtrack. Well,
0: that's even the truth. The truth, even like with when we do interviews with you know musicians, the last thing I want to do, I had to learn this because like, oh, what made you write this song? And what's this all about? Well, actually- the, the listener, don't screw it up for the listener. You know what I mean? The audience needs, I mean, there's stuff that you want to hear the background, like we've been talking, but it's um, if you, if a musician starts dictating what the story is about, that, that happened to me in, in English class, like the poetry guy, we were doing poetry and it's, this is what this means. And I'm like, oh, well, to me, this means this is this, this. No, you're wrong. And I'm like, screw wrong. you. I'm out, out. Yeah. There's no such thing as wrong. There's no such thing as taking in a piece of art and having your own opinion. That's what art is for whether it's a book, music, dance, I don't care. It's supposed to make you feel and think and and boost creativity and if I want it to be that if if there's a painting that's all red and I see it all black, it's all black to me. I don't care what Absolutely. anybody else thinks. Screw it.
1: And you know, <laughs> I when I was younger after I was an engineer, um I Tommy LaPuma, I, I Tommy LaPuma, Al Schmidt and I were working on a Diana Crow record and Mm. Tommy was like a father figure to me and he, and his whole family was just so good to me. And I remember him saying to me over lunch one day, what do you want to do with your career? And I was like, I want to be an a Well, at
0: least he didn't say when you grow up. No, (laughs) but he goes,
1: but I was like, I want to be an A&R. And that's the, that's the great, that's Mm. the cool job. You know, you know, you're hanging with the artists and he laughed. He goes, of course you want to be an A&R. And He's like, look, um, you already know how to make a record. We've been in the studio enough. You know how records are made. You know how good records are made. And what Tommy used to do, which was amazing, and when I produce, I do the same thing now. Tommy didn't sit in the control room. He sat out in the in the live room with the band, and he mm. would sit on a stool or he would sit on the floor. And when it came time in between takes, to uh, talk about what worked and what didn't work. There was no glass partition between him and the band. He was there working with them and Al was in the studio Mm. and Al would, he would communicate to Al and then Al would make that happen in the control room. But I loved the way Tommy made, like he interwoven himself into the band. So they would have those intimate conversations Mm. and nothing was lost. Right. So Tommy had this and that
0: energy is united. It's unified. He's part of the band.
1: He's in the band Mm -hmm. when they're doing that. And Tommy was just such a really, really gentle, amazing, supportive guy. He wanted you to know what he knew. He, he mm-hmm. had all the confidence in himself, no insecurities that you're going to take something from him and usurp him mm-hmm. like that's a leader. That's a mentor, you know? Yeah. So he's like, look, you know, I, I hear you. He says, you know how to make a record now. So you need to know what sells a record. So this was a Thursday. And I was 24, or 25. And he goes, starting Monday, you're the director of college marketing. Figure it out. Sweet. And I remember going back into this the, the house studio of MCA at the time and telling my boss that I was no longer going to work there. he was furious. Because, you know, but that Monday I had an office downstairs and I would I was in the marketing meetings. And I remember one time I was working with Jonathan Brooke from the story, who I was a big fan of. And they were doing her first solo record and it had gone out and it didn't do great. Mm. And, um, but the record was great. It just, the, the marketing radio effort wasn't amazing. So in our first marketing meeting, Tommy looked at me, he says, okay, what, what's your first, what's the first thing you want to work on? And I told him, I said, I think Jonathan deserves another shot. I want to take her back to radio and that's Mm. money. That's money. Yeah. But, and he goes, all right make it happen and he everyone in the room kind of laughed because they they thought he doesn't know what he's doing you know but it was a really great learning experience for me to understand how everything worked long story short was they said look if you could get 20 stations to add the record again we'll put her back on the road Mm. I got 25 stations oh sweet and everyone in the room was like what and Jonathan went back on the road and she toured with um uh, Joan Osborne, and she toured with um, the guys. That, the guys who wrote "God Was One of Us" with her—I can't remember the band right now—but they were really big at the time. And then she got to do a bunch of shows with Carol King, which who is her Ooh. so. Yeah, all of that happened through Tommy believing in me. All that happened mm-hmm. for her, and then all of a sudden, by that happening, people trusted me off the bat,
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: started my marketing career. And I've done A and R, and I've done that, but like marketing, communication, messaging—that's like. That's where my career has lied. And Tommy LaPuma gave me that opportunity. Everything I have, everything I have today is because of Tommy LaPuma. And now everything what I have musically is due to the belief and trust and generosity of Al Schmidt. So those two men have had Mm -hmm. such a big part of my life as a man because of a relationship I started when I was 24 years old.
0: But this is a good point in... um communication and friendship and trust right yeah it's an important thing about that in that when somebody gives you the freedom to be who you are
1: yes you know and so that
0: you can grow and allow you to screw up and make a mistake because if you don't make any mistakes you're you're not going to learn anything right you know And
1: and to recognize what someone's good at i i've had conversations like this with people i've worked with where they would criticize someone else's work i'm like look If you're the one getting mad at a fish for not knowing how to ride a bicycle, is it the fish's fault or is it your fault for not recognizing where the talents lie in that person? So if you're putting somebody in a situation that they're going to fail in because they're not built to do that, then whose fault is that? Yeah, exactly. As a manager, as a band leader, as a producer, we have to find how people can thrive. And to understand not just who they are, but also understand what their motivation is and what their experience is, and then set them up to win. Mm. And sometimes setting someone else up to win means that you don't get the winning basket, someone else does. But again, that's a true leader is knowing that in the end, it's all about we all win, as opposed to me getting a personal win. It's all about us as a a group. getting. Oh,
0: good. Can I send you to Jeff Bezos? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, oh.
0: <laughs> oopsie sorry <laughs> so the
1: guy who's running amazon right now went to my high school and oh no way yeah he graduated a couple of years before me and um his wife is one of my classmates and oh he no is, way he is now running he's the hand-picked successor of amazon i'll
0: be nice then now, be i don't nice. know him
1: that well so I mean, you gotta <laughs> get
0: your music on there too so everyone the album is out uh july 21st so nine mile station uh, it can go to 9 music.com, but they can save it right so hearing this yeah, early so, they can so get it through youtube and and stuff like that and on, spotify uh, so we've got that. a
1: single who you love that's coming out on june 9th um, that's coming out. I don't know if this is going to be out before then. This is going but... to be
0: out after June 9th. Okay, yeah. so
1: it's by, so by the time you guys and we are hear recording this...
0: this on a Sunday, so he's yeah. been zapped. So <laughs> lightning so came down the, on you.
1: <laughs> by the time you guys see this, of course, who you love will be in your in your ear, and you'll be singing along to it mm-hmm. as you wait for the and in, in the anticipation of our new album that's coming out on July 21st. Um, mm-hmm. You can find it on all streaming and online stores. Our website is nine mile station music. All our socials are at nine mile station music. Uh, we have songs that are up on YouTube as well, and we'll be out doing some live shows
0: and you need to go perform at nine mile high. It's nine yeah. mile high. Yeah. That'd That's be great. What you and, need to go.
1: And then <laughs> on July 29th, I mean, music has brought so much great people we get to meet right now all mm-hmm. like music just continues being the gift that keeps giving and on July 29th, I'll be, perform- we'll be performing as a band at the Troubadour for the first time. Sweet.
0: Nice. And Exciting. this has been
1: a lifelong dream. And every band you've seen at Madison Square Garden or Wembley, they all made their way through the Troubadour to get there. So it's it's a big thrill. And um, we're really excited to share this new music with you all that was mixed by Al Schmidt and Nico Bolas. It was one of Al Schmidt's last uh, yeah. pro- uh, projects before he passed away in 2021. And um, we're just really excited, and I'm so thrilled to be on your show today, Lisa. Thank you so thank much you. for spending some time with me.
0: It's been fun. It's been a good conversation for sure. Now it's a good Sunday conversation, isn't it? It is. It's, it's about it rebirth and renewal. And we went to church. So yeah, you know, we did. And the we and went the, to and, church.
1: And and the gospel is the it, the gospel it's actually translates. Yeah, the gospel translates to the good word, and the good word today is Nine Mile Station. <laughs> but-
0: <laughs> but I do want you to go perform at Nine Mile High in, in Asheville, North Carolina. you got to go do it. We'll I think that. that's that's important. Everyone, 9milestationmusic.com. We're going to close with Caught in the Rain for those watching this on YouTube. If you are listening to the audio, you can also go to youtube.com and find Nine Mile Station Music on there or just go to their website and you can see the videos we're talking about. Thank you all for joining us here on Big Blend Radio. Keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Thanks, Will.
1: You got it. Nice to see (laughs) y'all.